Good morning, new community. Today, as we celebrate Bloom's Day, we are a church out in the city. We are running the course. We are walking with friends. We are handing out otter pops. We are gathering over food and celebrating together with family. However it is that you are the church today out in the city of Spokane, we want you to know that you are on our minds, that you are in our hearts. And as we sit and listen to the podcast, I hope that you find something that is encouraging, that is edifying, that we remember at this, on this day that we are still the church And even as we are scattered, that we also are gathered in spirit as we celebrate our risen Lord. Weeping comes for night, but joy comes in the morning. O God of power and might, death has been defeated, and we shout, Alleluia. Let all that we do today be a prayer of praise. Amen. Recently, we have been taking time in our Sunday liturgy to highlight one of our seven values as a community. And today, we just wanted to quickly highlight our value of re-creational. This is our desire as a community to live into the gift of limits. We desire to be a community that intentionally creates space in our weekly rhythms to rest and enjoy life. But not only that, We also desire to be a community that ceases from accomplishing or producing. It's a rhythm of life that submits our schedules to the values of the kingdom and prioritizes practicing simplicity and acknowledging the need for Sabbath keeping. So whatever that looks like for you, whether it's gardening or going on a run or reading a book or drinking coffee or spending time with roommates or friends or family, we invite you to be recreational to create intentional space in your schedule to rest and receive the love of God for you, to remind yourself that you are not a machine. Your worth and value does not rest in how much you can accomplish or what you can get done or how efficient your life is. You are unconditionally loved by the God of love. So today, as we take an intentional break from our normal rhythm of gathering together in our building downtown for a Sunday service, we hope and pray that you are finding rest right where you are and you're able to receive God's love for you. Good morning, new community. Happy Blooms Day. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. And uh, we're able to enjoy the weather, enjoy the time with family and friends and in the city. As you know, New Community holds deeply this idea of being a people who engage. And that is a a significant value at New Community. And so this Sunday uh, was not a Sunday that we take off. It is a weekend to engage our city, to love our neighbor, and to be the people of God in the city. Now, it's an amazing opportunity to participate in creating shalom or wholeness or flourishing. And I hope that you are or have taken full advantage of this Sunday where we do not gather, but rather scatter into the community. And speaking of gathering and scattering, it just so happens that our paradox for this morning is just that. We are in the middle of a paradox series where we're contrasting two ideas that seem to be paradoxical, 
and yet somehow in a divine way meet in the middle in a space um, that God oversees and occupies and brings order from the chaos. And the two words we're considering today is the command and the calling to be an assembly that gathers as a community and also being called to be on mission where we scatter into the city and are the church dispersed. And so we'll look at what it means to gather and to scatter. And our teaching this morning will be through and in the book of Acts primarily. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, it is a little crazy. Take chapter one, for example. Jesus shows up unannounced to his disciples, and they are freaked out. The text tells us that he hangs out with them, he teaches them about the kingdom of God, and then he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. So he gathers all the apostles together, he reminds them of their mission to spread the good news of the kingdom, and then all of a sudden he ascends into the clouds and he's gone. And the apostles are likely just waiting. The last thing they heard was to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so, likely, just waiting, staring up into space, looking around, wondering what happened. Where is Jesus? Is he coming back? When will he come back? What does that look like? And finally, we find out, we also imagine, that they gave up waiting and went home. And then the text tells us that the disciples decided that since Judas betrayed and was no longer one of the apostles, that they needed a new one. So the text tells us they rolled some dice, cast some lots, drew some straws, whatever function that they performed, and picked the next apostle. And this is all just chapter one, mind you. Then chapter two starts. And it starts with a room full of people, a violent wind, flames of fire that do not burn, that come and descend on everyone. And then everyone begins to speak in foreign languages. Now, I wish I had an audio version of this moment where we could hit play and just listen to the moment of the rushing wind, the fire that descends, and then 15 plus languages all being spoken at the same time. And for many of us, this would be a bit overwhelming and at least a little bit confusing. But if you are an Old Testament scholar, or if you would have experienced that moment as a typical Jewish individual at the time, you should have been having, or likely had, a bit of a flashback. A flashback to stories you heard from the past. Stories you heard as a little child growing up in a Jewish community. Stories from the book of Genesis. The scene that would have rushed into your mind was a scene that was described as back at the beginning of the world or the start of civilization. The scene kind of goes like this. There was darkness and chaos. Then the text tells us that God spoke and there was creation and beauty and perfection. And then sin, wickedness, the flood, all of these things entered into the world. And there was an opportunity to restart and reestablish humanity. And out of that opportunity, Genesis 11 comes in and you see what's called the Tower of Babel. Now the text reads this way. 
Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, a couple points of interest here. First one is this. Their agenda was really clear. The tower builders had a clear agenda. Recognition, attention, honor, credit to make a name for themselves. They also did not want to be scattered. They say, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, this was in a direct defiance to the request of God to disperse and fill the whole earth. So the clear agenda was pride in their self-accomplishments, the ability to rule over themselves, the ability to decide their direction, and to not follow the way of Yahweh. And the text goes on to say, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So you have this group of people intent on determining their own way, their own desire to be their own rulers, and Lord comes in and confuses their speech. Humanity is scattered and is no longer, kind of as we would define it, unified. It was another manifestation of the curse continued. And now we read in Acts 2 a very unique story that in some ways sounds similar. Languages, confusion, dispersing, wondering. The text reads this way. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in his own native language? Next several verses list 15 plus places. And then the text says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Now you have this Pentecost moment. And if you're a Jewish individual at the time and you're hearing what's happening in Acts 2, you flash back to this moment of the Tower of Babel and this story you heard. And Pentecost, in many ways, is a great reversal of the Tower of Babel. So you have a story full of metaphor and symbolic meaning. And the opposite of all that is Babel is this story of Pentecost, Acts 2. So in Genesis, you have the spirit of man in 
Pentecost, you have the Spirit of God. In Genesis, you have a name that they are trying to create for themselves. And in Acts 2, you have this focus on God and prayer and waiting on the Spirit. You have language be, languages being confused in Babel. You have languages used for understanding in Acts. You have the human's plan being thwarted at Babel. You have God's plan being furthered at Acts. You have God coming down to scatter the people. And now you have God coming down to unify and gather the people. So at Pentecost, God is in the business of forming his eschatological community. He is starting the church. This is where we understand the gathering of his body. The, this is where we get this idea of um, ecclesiology, the church being formed. And the rest of the story builds from here. The story of Acts continues to grow and manifest itself. When the church grows, it is this ultimate reversal of the story of Babel. And yet I often get the feeling that we, the church, are still building Babel. And there are subtle ways that we continue to build Babel. I want to highlight just a couple. See, I think like Babel, we are tempted to continue to build monuments to ourselves. As a people, we tend to be about prestigious titles, impressive assets, recognition. In many ways, we're building our own little towers out of our careers or our online profiles or our accomplishments or our money. And the church is no exception. The church seeks to be known. Many in the church seek to become Twitter famous or have large followings. Building Babel is typically the way of the empire. And in many ways, it's a bit opposite of the John the Baptist model we see in the Gospels where John the Baptist declares, I must become less and he, Jesus, must be lifted up or become more. We, like Babel, are tempted to build monuments to ourselves. Like Babel, we're also tempted to determine our fate or set our agenda. If you've ever heard the Invictus poem, there's a phrase in there that's popular that says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's a statement of conviction to say, I can determine my fate. I can set my agenda. I can plan my life. And we hesitate at times to ask God what God might want to do, what his plan might be, because we're afraid it might ruin our agenda, that it might shift the plan for our life or our business or our family or relationship. It requires trust, dependency. So like Babel, we would rather determine our own fate. I also think like Babel, we have a bit of a confusion around language. You've probably noticed it, but if not, we have a language problem. In many ways, you could say we are a, a babbled people. We are speaking over each other, through each other, but rarely are we speaking to each other. Walter Brueggemann makes the statement, the Tower of Babel story, which is usually translated, they couldn't understand one another, can also be translated, they wouldn't listen to each other. See, we have a language problem. In one sense, the Tower of Babel story is very strange 
is very different. It's very other. And then in another sense, it is very familiar. We're still building Babel. But Acts 2 is a call for us to lean into the Pentecost, to have a bit of a reversal. See, the Pentecost reminds us that we are a kingdom people who are called to live in the paradox of being both gathered and scattered. And I think the text gives us a few clues on how we can live into this paradox. First, Pentecost reminds us that the Spirit is most visibly present in community. When the day of Pentecost arrived, the text says, they were all together in one place. Now, while the Spirit is within us individually, Holy Spirit is most clearly seen in community. The corporate nature of being together brings out the Spirit in unique ways. We pray in community. We experience miracles in community. Where two or three are gathered, crazy stuff happens. This idea of being gathered in community has recently been tested. In many ways, the pandemic altered our sense of community. We have had to adjust to pseudo-community, virtual community, and altogether time away from community. I think the pandemic has taught us to see others as a potential threat, as someone to be scared of instead of someone to be connected to, of someone to maintain distance from, not someone to gather close with. But we have been created for connection and community. Ebhard Arnold says this, life in community is no less than a necessity for us. It is an inescapable must that determines everything we do and think. We must live in community because all life created by God exists in a communal order and works toward community. We have to be willing to venture back into the necessity of community where the Spirit of God shows up. I think secondly, the text tells us that the Spirit's presence is thick or full. The text reads, when the day of Pentecost had fully come or arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seated. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the text says that the day of Pentecost had fully come, that the house where they were staying was filled with a rushing mighty wind, that the apostles were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke wants us to get this idea that the, when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not partial or incomplete that his presence is full and complete and with us. Brennan Manning says this, the gospel is absurd and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, died, and rose again with but one purpose in mind, to make brand new creation. Not to make people with better morals, but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the spirit that burns within, who would live in ever greater fidelity to the omnipresent word of God, who would enter into the center of it all, the very 
heart and mystery of Christ into the center of the flame that consumes, purifies, and sets everything aglow with peace, joy, boldness, and extravagant, furious love. This, my friend, is what it really means to be a Christian. The fullness of the Spirit is what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus. Final idea, that the Pentecost begins to show us that God is in the business of both regathering and sending. The text says that there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women of every nation under heaven. And then the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them in his own language. And then it lists 15 nations, some nations outside of Roman authority, people from all over the world, all had gathered. And this is a picture of the scandalously inclusive, reconciling, multicultural, unifying nature of Christianity. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because the gospel is inclusive. If Pentecost only happened in one language, the recipients would not have comprehended its universal intent. They would not have realized that this was a gospel for all people of every language, of every tribe, of every nation. It also indicates that the gospel is reconciling, meaning that the gospel speaks to the healing of all the nations, the regathering of a people. So the fragmentation of humanity that happened at Babel is to be overcome by the gospel, that the walls of separation are to be broken down. And what society needs is a church that leads reconciliation efforts, that's all about embracing diversity and working to build a multicultural church. See, the church should be a place where people experience the undoing of Babel, that a unified church is the vehicle through which the kingdom of God is communicated to the world. And so not only is the gospel inclusive and not only is it reconciling, The gospel also invites us to be partners with the Holy Spirit and being witnesses, to be on mission, to be scattered. 2 Corinthians 5 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, the church, the people of God, are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. New community, on this Bloomsday or whatever day in which you listen to this podcast, may we remember that we are both a gathered and a scattered community. May we prioritize the gathering together so that the Spirit may be full among us. But may we also prioritize the scattering so the shalom of God is felt as we exist and move and have our being in the city. And may we not forget the words of Irenaeus. Where the church is, there is also the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God is, there are also the church and all grace. Amen.
Hey, Newcom, this is Brooke here. We hope you are enjoying Bloomsday out in the city, and we look forward to gathering with you next Sunday for Mother's Day. Hear this benediction as we close our time together. As we move about our day, may we be mindful of God's presence. May we know that love is God's essence, and may we seek wisdom in, and in that pursuit, find grace. May we invite others into the mundane, the significant, the average, and the intimate together. We pray this in the name of the creator, the redeemer, and the breath of life. Amen. Go in peace, Newcom.